we continue through this incredible sermon that Jesus gives to his disciples, his followers. And we just come to this next section about laying up treasures in heaven. Like Thomas said, we're going to be looking forward this morning. Now, investments are tricky, aren't they? It's tough to know exactly when and where to invest your money. If it's a good opportunity or if it's maybe too risky and ends up being a flop. Well, my grandfather, Daniel Dennis Maitland, he was a general manager of a small grocery store in Orange County. In the early 1950s, he had the opportunity to purchase a property that had a hotel on it in Anaheim, California. Apparently, some eccentric millionaire had purchased an orange grove in the area, and he had big plans for the property. The contract came across my grandfather's desk. He considered the purchase and the investment very seriously. He almost pulled the trigger, according to my dad. But ultimately, he declined because in his words, he said, I don't want to raise my family in a hotel, which was probably the right fatherly move, but not the right financial move. The property was Disneyland. And uh, my grandfather turned down a hotel within walking distance of that theme park. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? My dad says, we could have been millionaires. Well, yeah, but maybe you wouldn't be my dad. I don't know. In 2014, a friend called my dad. We call him Crazy Carl. And Crazy Carl's crazy. But he said... Uh, I remember being in the office, and actually, Crazy Carl came in, and he, uh, he was telling us about this new cryptocurrency thing. He says, you guys got to buy this thing called Bitcoin. It's $400 a coin right now, and this thing is just going to explode. And we laughed at Crazy Carl. We're like, come on, Crazy Carl. We're not going to buy this thing. We don't even understand how it, how it works. Well, needless to say, 10 years later, Crazy Carl doesn't live here anymore. Crazy Carl lives on the beach in Hawaii. He bought Bitcoin, and he did well. Sold it last year for a lot more money than he bought it for. You never know. Investments are tricky. It's hard to know when and where to invest. But the good news for us this morning is that Jesus presents us a great investment opportunity. He gives us a promising investment opportunity. This investment is safe, it's secure, and it pays out-of-this-world dividends for those who invest into it. Of course, the investment that Jesus lays in front of us is the treasures of heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. This is a worthwhile investment for our hearts, our souls, our endeavors, everything in life to live for what heaven can offer us and not for what this world promises us. So let's read the passage in Matthew 6. I'm going to read through the whole text and we'll go section by section here. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and just ask for you to give us perspective. Please open our eyes to see eternity. To to notice that the, the things of this world are fleeting, temporary, and so small in comparison to what you offer us in eternity. Lord, we're so distracted, blinded, blurred, and confused by the materialistic things of this world. Please, again, give us perspective, clear eyes, so that we can see what is truly a greater treasure stored in heaven for us if we believe. Pray that you take our minds off this world and set them where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Lord, we ask that you do that work in our hearts this morning in response to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Three questions for you. I see three illustrations in this text. The first question is, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Second question is, how is your vision? How is your vision? Spiritual vision, that is. Praise God, some of us don't have good physical vision, right? How is your vision? And thirdly, the third question is, who's your master? Who's your master? Where's your treasure? How's your vision? And who is your master? We're going to go through and answer those three questions uh, with your outline. Point number one is the treasure. We're going to look first at the treasure. Where is your treasure? Ask yourself that as we go through this passage. Look at verse 19 again. It says, do not lay up. Lay up can also be translated to gather, to store up, or to stockpile. How many of you are stockpilers? Toilet paper? Shaking their heads, right? No, not us. Stockpiling. That's probably a more helpful way to view what this laying up is. See, in the first century economy, they were agrarian-based, and so their material wealth was accumulated in goods, gold, and land. And so when a first century Galilean thinks about laying up treasure, he would see a storehouse filling with grain or with spices, or, or he would see an actual treasure chest filling with gold. You and I see numbers go up in our bank accounts. It's a little bit different. And so that's kind of the picture that we see here. Jesus says, do not lay up, do not store up, and then notice the next phrase, for yourselves, treasures on earth. Notice both the purpose and the place of this treasure. Who's this treasure for? It's for yourself. And where is this treasure? 
from or where is it located? It is located on earth. Jesus is talking about the things that men accumulate for themselves that are limited to this earth. These are funds that do not transfer to heaven. He's addressing primarily materialism. Materialism. Now, we live in a very materialistic culture, don't we? We're sold stuff every day through advertisements, at work, etc. Is it wrong to be rich? Maybe that's a question that you would ask first. Is it wrong to be rich? Is it wrong to be wealthy? We live in wealthy America. We are all, most of us, categorically wealthy in comparison to other cultures and societies. We know that. So is it wrong to be rich? Well, the answer is not necessarily, right? Notice again both the purpose and the place of this treasure on earth. It depends on who or what the wealth is for. If it's accumulated in greed for yourself, then that is what Jesus forbids here. But if it is accumulated in generosity for others or for kingdom purposes, then no, not necessarily. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he tells him that there is a way to be both rich on earth and store up treasure in heaven. He has specific instructions there for the rich. He says the rich need to be generous and they they need to use their wealth for good. And if you are rich and you do that, then it is okay to be wealthy as long as it is accumulated selflessly, not for yourself selfishly. So he doesn't forbid accumulating wealth here. He forbids accumulating wealth for yourself and investing wholly on earth in kind of a haughty or a hoarding manner. Now, you and I both know earthly treasure is not just limited to money, but can encompass all kinds of earthly idols. Money, possessions, maybe the idol really is the status or the comfort that comes with money. Kind of maybe an idol of people-pleasing with accumulation of wealth. Like I said, maybe for you, it's not necessarily the money. Money doesn't matter as much as what money can get for you. Like the better house, the nicer house, the nicer car, clothes, etc., etc. Maybe it's not necessarily even what money can get you, but it's the way the money or the things make you feel. Comfortable. Safe. Important. Respectable. There are all kinds of self-serving motives that compel us to invest in the world or the things in the world. And by the way, you don't have to have a lot of money to have this struggle. You don't have to have a lot of money to be laying up treasures here. Poor people can be driven by the same self-serving motives. And they could be just as invested. Stingy, greedy, hoarding, coveting. All these things Jesus addresses here. It's a blunt command. It's very clear. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Very clear. And I'm thankful that the Lord gives us a reason why. He doesn't just say, don't do this. 
But he gives us a reason why. He could have left it at a command and walked away. So don't invest here. He could really demand our undivided attention. But in his kindness, he gives us a very good reason. And here is the good reason. Read further in the text. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Moths eat what? Clothes. Particularly in the first century, many of their, much of their clothes were made out of wool, right? Which is moth food. And really, clothing was a big expression of wealth in the first century. And so a lot of their money was tied up again in, in goods, their clothing. Now, the word for rust here means literally eating. Eating. So it could refer to the corrosion of metal, but probably more fitting, it refers to those tiny little varmints that clean out your storehouse, like rats, mice, or whatever other insect that chews up your food and literally empties it. Where moth and rust destroy, the word destroy is to literally leave it empty, wiped out. I love... I think it's fascinating that Jesus here points to the tiniest creatures that can undo all your materialistic goods. Isn't that amazing? Couldn't Jesus have said, hey, don't lay up your treasures here where earthquakes make buildings fall down or where tornadoes can come through and carry your house away or where fires burn up all of your goods. No, no, no. He points to the termites and the moths. He says these tiny little insects can do away with your most precious and prized possessions. Your materialistic goods, here's Jesus' point, your material goods don't last forever. They're temporary. They're perishable. Even your gold. Even your gold, right? The most precious Metal, the most, one of the most precious elements that we have here on earth. Look at what James writes in James 5, 1 through 3. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth eaten, your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. It's perishable. Even your gold holds no value before holy God. Oh, and also, thieves can steal it. Look at Jesus says where thieves break in and steal. The word for break in literally renders, it, it means to dig up or to dig in. Because remember, Back in this time, they're, they're hiding their treasure chest full of gold, often burying it on their property. Like the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13, the treasure was buried and then the person dug it up and found it and took it away or bought the property. The point is your money isn't safe here. It's not safe. It's not safe. You know, I don't know much about cryptocurrency, but I, I know one of its boasts is that essentially 
something to the effect of like, with the blockchain technology, your money is safer, right? And uh, it's because of these algorithms that are controlled by these various computers throughout the world. And uh, these algorithms are very complex, and there's checks and balances, right, with consumers. It's not centrally located in a government, and I'm probably talking beyond all of your heads and even my own right now. But here's my question when I think about that, is what prevents somebody from making another algorithm? What prevents some tech geek from inventing something (laughs) that can take that money away? Your money is not safe here. Something or someone can always steal it. Someone can take it. What's Jesus' point? He says, don't invest in perishable goods that are not secure. Don't strive to accumulate wealth here because it doesn't last. It's temporary and it's empty. Look at Solomon. One of the richest men to ever live, he says, I built for myself gardens. I built these massive monuments, these architectural feats. And he says, none of it was worth it. He says, it's all vanity. It's all empty. Vain pursuits. Don't invest here, Jesus says. And what he means by invest, of course, there are wise and good stewardship investments, but he's talking about giving your heart to the material things of this world. He says, don't do that, but, in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's a better investment for your heart. It's in heaven. It's secure. It's imperishable. Don't just take Jesus' words for it. Look at these men and women of faith that are talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham and Saul, they, or sorry, <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, they were willing to live as exiles and foreigners on earth because they, the text says, desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Moses, he forsook the fleeting pleasures and treasures of Egypt, one of the most powerful empires of history. He was in a prominent position. He was set up essentially as Pharaoh's adopted grandson, but he forsook all of that because he considered, the text says, the reproach of Christ as greater wealth. And was looking forward to the reward. The Apostle Paul. He says this. You're familiar with these verses. Philippians 3. I count everything as loss. Compared to the surpassing value. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Forgetting what lies behind. Straining to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, it's not here, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, they can take your property. They can. But they can't take away the better country. 
They can take away your stuff. They can take your friends. They can take your earthly securities. They can take away insurance. But they can't take away the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Your earthly goods may fade. Some of them may die, be destroyed, ended. But you have, according to 1 Peter 1.3, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Man, we need to get our eyes off of the things of this earth and see the bigger picture here. Our citizenship is not here. The things that last are not in material goods. We need to see heaven, see Christ, see that which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That is a better investment. No moths or corrosion there. No thieves there. Look forward to a better treasure. So I ask you the question, where is your treasure? Where is it? Where is your stockpile? Are you wholly invested in this world or are you wholly invested in the next? How do I know where my treasure is? How can you evaluate, self-evaluate? Where is my treasure? Where is my stockpile? Three questions for you. What do you think about? What do you talk about? And what do you tinker about? What do you think about? What do you talk about? And what do you tinker about? What I mean by tinker about, you think of the men, right, who with every maybe ounce of their free time, they go out into the garage or in the yard and they tinker, right? They tinker with things. So what I mean what I mean by tinkering is that when you have a spare moment, some free time, what is your heart inclined to go do? What do you spend that time doing? Is it all invested into material things or do you invest that time into heavenly things? Of course, what do you think about? So when you're given a moment to think, when you're not consumed with a task, a project, whether it's raising the kids, teaching them at home, or you're at work, and you have some time to think, what do your thoughts drift toward? Is it constantly the work problem? Or the work issue? Or the house or the thing that you don't have but you really want? Or do you drift into prayer? Do you drift into hope? Do you drift in contentment, thinking about things of heaven? When you speak, what do you talk about? When you talk with men in the workplace, wherever, or out in the community, what, what are the subjects that come to the conversation? Most often it's what? It's sports and work. Or the things they're tinkering with, their hobbies. What does that reveal about where your treasure is, where your heart is? Are you talking about the stocks, the market, the economy, the kids, the troubles of your day? Or are you talking about the ministry, the kingdom? Eternal things, souls, discipleship, whether it's in the home or in the church. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Word. Missionary in Africa, Shannon Hurley, I was hearing him speak, a, he was preaching a message on this very passage. 
And he said, people in Africa, they're concerned for us. They're concerned for us. When they meet an American, they go, oh. Because they know that most Americans struggle with materialism. Their mind is wrapped up in the things of this earth, and they don't have that similar struggle. He said, when I come back to America, when I spend time in Africa, I find myself talking a lot about eternal things. He said, when I come and visit pastors or even families, supporting families here in America, I find them talking a lot about material things. He says, I want to come back to the States and talk about Christ, talk about the kingdom, talk about heavenly things. But Americans are often distracted talking about earthly things. So what do you think about? What do you talk about? And then what do you tinker about? What do you spend your time tinkering with? Through your phone, checking the value of your stocks, your investment, looking through Zillow at the housing market, potential houses that you could have, probably not right now. Maybe browsing Amazon, watching TV, whatever it might be. Or do you tinker with quality time, with your wife, with your kids, things of eternal value, the souls, the precious souls that are in your life, praying for them, praying with them, reading the Word of God, receiving God's Word every day as you read, as you study, talking about it with others. Do you spend that extra time tinkering in the church, serving, discipling, being a part of a group, calling a brother or a sister to ask how you can pray for them? Where is your treasure pile? Where is it? And when you find your treasure pile, look at what you find underneath it. Look back at verse 21. Here's an important principle. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's a concerning Or an encouraging reality. Find your treasure pile and you'll find your heart. That's where your heart is. Your goals, your aspirations, where the treasure is, what you see as most valuable is what grips your heart. In C.S. Lewis's uh, satirical writing, The Screwtape Letters, Maybe you've heard of them. Screw tape, a demon. This is fiction. But a demon is writing to, I think, his nephew, Wormwood. And he's writing these letters. And he's talking about how he can tempt the person that Wormwood has been assigned to, this person that he's been assigned to tempt. And Screw tape gives him this advice. He says, Have him be consumed with matters that pertain to this world. He said, With wealth and other things. He says this, and I quote, Prosperity knits a man to this world. He feels that he's finding his place in it when the reality is it's finding its place in him. When your, when your treasures are in this world or on earth, that's where your heart is. It goes into your heart and it grips you. It grips you. Materialism has a way of gripping your heart, filling it. Your desires, your affections, your wants, your loves are wrapped up in your treasure. So where is your treasure? Where is it?
Where is your treasure? The second question, how is your vision? Let's go to the next illustration. So materialism has a way of gripping the heart, but materialism also has a way of blurring your vision. Blurring your vision. Look at the second illustration here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus uses this analogy of an eye and how it guides and directs the function of the rest of the body. We're very dependent upon our eyes, aren't we? Of course, we've been given other senses. Some people are blind and and have to rely on the other senses, but the eyes are helpful. Eyes, I don't have to give you an anatomy lesson, but eyes let light in, and it sends the data to the brain, and the brain processes it and informs the function of the rest of the body. So your body will move, turn, react, respond, based on what the eyes have let in, the light that they let in. So if your eye is healthy, which this word here literally means if it is without speck, or if it is singularly focused, then the rest of your body is going to be in good shape. You will be guided. You will know where to go. But if your eye is bad, literally meaning deficient in quality, if your eye is sick, then the rest of your body is in what? Big trouble. Big trouble. It's interesting how elsewhere in Scripture, a bad eye, a bad eye is associated with greed. In Proverbs 28-22, it literally says this, an evil eye hastens to wealth. Here's the point of the analogy. When your heart, the eye of your soul, if you will, when your heart is set on heaven's treasure, the result is radiant living, living in joy, living in the truth, having hope, comfort, and all the spiritual benefits that come with it. But when your heart is set on earthly treasure, the result is dark living, confusion, believing and walking in lies, blindness, and even, which we'll see next week, leading to anxiety and depression. We'll see the relationship between Jesus' teaching next week and this week. You know this. Aren't materialists often the most miserable people? Aren't they? It was Rockefeller who wrote, how much money does it take to make me happy? It's just one more dollar. Implied, he's never happy. Wealth doesn't make one happy. It was Jim Carrey who said, I wish everybody was rich and famous because then they'd realize that it doesn't make you happy. Materialists are often the most miserable. Setting your mind and your heart on the treasures of this earth will not make you happier or your spiritual life any more vibrant. In complete contrast, it will fill your life with great gloom and discontentment and darkness and confusion, even irrational thinking. How great is that darkness, Jesus says. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It distracts you. It deteriorates you spiritually. It diminishes your view of Christ. I think about the Lord of the Rings. 
And when men gaze at that ring too long, it begins to poison their mind. It, they're poisoned by its power. They succumb to it. And they start thinking irrationally. They lose sight of the truth. And that is what materialism does to our minds. It blinds us. It blurs us. Well, my kids are playing basketball, and they've been enjoying that. My son, Reagan, and we're working on his shot. He's barely got enough strength to get it up to the rim. But the other day, we had cousins over, and he made a couple of shots. So he's very excited. He had his cousins come out to watch him. It was so funny to watch. He's looking at his cousins and shooting the ball while looking at his cousins because he wanted to impress them. Of course, his shot was way off target. Didn't even make it to the rim. And so I had to tell him, Reagan, when you shoot the ball, you need to look at that little box above the basket. That's your aim. That's where you need to shoot it. So don't look at them and shoot the ball. Look up there. And sure enough, his shot was more accurate. My point is the same point as Paul's. In Colossians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says. He says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are where? Above. What are you supposed to be looking at spiritually? What is your vision to be set on? The things that are above. Where Christ is, your Lord and Savior, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Don't allow materialism to blur your vision. Look at Christ. Seek Him. Watch Him. Study Him. Think on Him. And then follow Him with your life. And He will give you clear eyes. A clear vision of the truth of true hope, of true joy, comfort, safety, all of these good things that you're seeking from this world but are really found in heaven where Christ is. In the words of the great Coach Taylor, clear eyes, full hearts, can't what? Lose. Of course, he's talking about a football game. I'm talking about looking to Jesus Christ and He provides the clarity and the victory in your spiritual life. Colossians 3.3 says, If you've died, you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with Him in glory. There's the can't lose. This is true, Christian. That's where your vision should be set. That's where your eyes should be focusing. Unless, of course, He's not your Savior. And if He's not your Savior, He's not your life, and you're really serving someone or something else, which leads to the third illustration. Masters. The Master. So materialism has a, a way of gripping your heart. Materialism also has a way of blurring your vision. Thirdly, materialism has a way of choosing your Master for you. Materialism chooses your master. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God in money. There is a clear sentence. You cannot serve God in money. Another clear sentence. No one can serve two masters. You'll notice this is a very clear either or. This is not a both and. There's only one throne in your heart. There's only one seat at the top. Whoever or whatever sits in that seat has your undivided love, has your heart, your wholehearted devotion. I mean, look at the strong contrast here. It says you're going to hate one and love the other. Hate and love. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. Devotion and despising. There is no neutral or common ground. Either or. These two masters do not share. Can't have both. I mean, look at the two masters. If we look at the two masters, God and money, they contrast in their nature. One is light. The other leads to darkness. One is holy, and the other is the root of all kinds of evil. One is heavenly and the other is earthly. One is unlimited and the other is limited. They can't share. They won't share. They won't share you as their slave. One will take you and the other won't have you. If we think about the Lord as our master, we need to remember that he both demands and deserves our love and devotion. He demands it and he deserves it. Here are some good reminders. We need reminders, don't we? We need reminders. We're forgetful people. And so when people, you know, say things like, oh man, that message was kind of basic or those truths that were preached or I've heard those before, right? I didn't need to hear that again. No, we are foolish people and we need reminders. We need to be reminded of what God demands of us and how He deserves it from us. We're so forgetful. We're so forgetful. I'm going to point you to these passages and you're going to go, yep, heard that before. But you need to be reminded of it. I, I, just this week, uh, we were purging. I remember, purging and the stuff of the house, that's like my love language. I love to get rid of stuff. It's like my favorite thing. I, I'm a minimalist. I don't like a lot of clutter in the home. Let's get rid of it. And so my wife set before me two bags. One had orange ribbon and one had yellow ribbon. The orange ribbon, she said, is trash. The yellow ribbon is Goodwill. Maybe it was the other way around now. I don't remember. That's the point of this illustration. She said, the orange one is trash. The yellow one goes to Goodwill. I even repeated it in my head. I listened to her and I repeated it. Okay, orange trash, yellow Goodwill. She's laughing because she knows it's true. What do you think I did five minutes later? I went to my wife. I said, which is which again? I forget. We're forgetful. We're forgetful. And so as I read these passages... I don't want you to just think, oh, I've heard that before. 
I don't need this reminder. Yes, you do. I do. We all do. God demands and He deserves your love and devotion. First, He demands it. What did He say in Exodus 23? You shall have what? No other gods before me. No other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. Joshua 24, verses 15 and 19. Choose this day whom you will serve, people of Israel, because verse 19, Yahweh is a jealous God. He's not going to share your heart with idols. He demands your love and devotion. But God doesn't demand it like a tyrant. He demands it and deserves it because of His unfailing love for us. He bought what your money can't. Your salvation. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Doesn't He deserve your love and devotion for all that He gave up for you? He does. He doesn't demand your service like a tyrant and then lead you to abuse, pain, and indefinite suffering. He demands your service Shows and displays His love. Seals you for redemption to the very end where He will give you an incredible reward far beyond and surpassing what this world can offer. Who's the better master? Money is a cruel master, isn't it? Money. If money is your master, you know that it is cruel. It drives your hand to the plow without any meaningful reward. It's never satisfied. You never have enough. It lures you and grips you and drives you to ruin. Money as master leads to countless divorces. Money as master leads countless families to estrangement. It leads countless workers to burnout, countless kings and pastors to moral failure, countless business owners to isolation, And even for some, suicide. Money is a cruel master. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ is no such master. He gives purpose to your labors. He gives joy to your service. He gives you reward for your toil. He gives you hope in your marriage, in your family, in your ministry, in your business. He provides comfort and strength in the struggle. Money doesn't do that for you. And you know it. Paul said in Philippians 4, again another familiar passage, he says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, 
abundance and need, I can do all things through who? Him who strengthens me. Maybe your frustration at work, maybe your frustration in life, the struggle is because you're serving the wrong master. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. Evaluate who are you serving? Who's your master? And make sure that you are living for Christ and not money. He is the better master. If you have money, serve Him with it. If you don't have money, serve Him. And you will not be left wanting. Which master will you serve? Don't allow materialism to steal your heart, to blur your vision, or to choose your master. Set your treasure in heaven. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and serve Him whether you are rich or poor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for setting before us clear direction. I pray that we would respond by setting our treasure in heaven, by clearing our eyes as we focus them on Christ, and by serving the Lord Jesus with our lives, even with our money. Help us to not get our priorities out of whack. Help us to not be storing up treasure here, to have our vision blurred by materialism, or to even find ourselves serving a master as ruthless as money. We need your help in that, Lord, because again, it's so easy to get distracted and and just think about this world and this life. Take our thoughts to the next world, to heaven. Pray that you be with us as we apply these truths this week in our workplaces, in our homes. Help us to teach our kids this, to show them that the end is not in this world, but it's in the next. And and that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in light of your glory and your grace in the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.